Welcome to The Word Podcast. I'm Seth Williams. And I'm Brendan Ward. And we're here to discuss all things local real estate, legal, title, market, and really anything else we can come up with. So stick with us on this journey as we talk about The Word. I'll let Brendan do all the, the formalities because he'll yell at me because I'll screw it up. So. No, this one's easy. So we have our, our my good friend, Mark Alamo from LCW CPAs. Uh, big accounting firm, largest accounting firm in the Merrimack Valley. Mark is the managing partner and one of the most interesting and fun guys that I know in the business. Uh, I've been telling Seth for months, like, I can't wait till tax season is over. Mark is going to be awesome. Um, you're going to love Mark. And I think you are. So Mark, welcome. Uh, we're super excited. The tax season is over and we finally get to have you on the podcast. Yeah, welcome. We're very excited. Oh, I'm sure everyone is so done thinking about taxes that now's a great time. So, you know, we can make your listenership absolutely plummet and uh, bore bore them with some more tax stuff. Well, listen, we do that just on our own. We don't need guests guests for that. So, doubtful, um, doubtful, doubtful. You know, uh, is tax season really over? No. Not because like 90% of, I bet, our listeners are on extension. Extension Amen. City, man. Let's go. And when did I file that extension? At April the, 18th. I think that's when it went out. Yeah, at the last possible second. Hey, you know what? We check with our software, and though we're outside of Boston and on the Eastern time zone, our software program is in the Midwest. So that means extension time for us ended at 1259. You were late. You were late. (laughs) Trying to get clients like me just to give you a quick email back. No, please don't pay anything. File the extension. Yeah. So you wish. So you wish. (laughs) So you guys Um, know what the biggest, the biggest uh, confusion is with extension day, right? No. It's an extension of time to file, not an extension of time to pay. Mm. And lots of folks get, yeah, you're screwed running. And oh, I already to- filed. I already filed. I, I got a refund. Really? It's bullshit. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what things are. I hear yeah, about refunds. Business um, must be tough, Brendan. <laughs> I know. <laughs> things are bad over here. Uh, <laughs> no, we pay ourselves. My, my, I had the, the wrong elections on my W-2 or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was getting a ton taken out all year. So, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. Addressed to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Yes. They changed the withholding tables. Several times and screw people up on both sides of the equation there. Man. Um, but anyway, so it's an extension of time to file, not of time to pay. And where folks can often think that they're being cute is, oh, well, I'll get the extension. They're not going to care. And then ultimately, right. when you file your return, if you don't have 90% of the tax paid in that you were supposed to pay in, then they say, yeah, you know that extension? It wasn't valid. So we're going to ding you with late payment interest, late filing Fees. I feel like and I should you be in a call. situation of lots of pain yeah. um, if you try to get too cute. So we'll see. Well, no one swims naked with the IRS. Yeah, truth, truth. Well, you know, I'm excited to, for some reason to talk taxes today. I think we got. You're always of, excited to talk taxes. You know, you know me, just Mister Mister Tax is what they call me offline. So, yeah. Um, yeah, listen, I'd love to. I'd love to talk very specifically. To the, to the realtor audience out there, right? So obviously as a realtor myself, I think it's um, uh, a screw up that a lot of agents maybe make. I was gonna say, wow. before we get to the audience, to the realtor questions, can we talk yeah. to Mark for a couple minutes about his background, who he is, no, and how he, just how he- job. You stop talking, I start talking. I know. Well, I didn't know where you were going, and I was trying to see where it was we're heading. We're gonna get there again, because I already forget what I was gonna say. So. I, wrote, I wrote it down, I wrote it down. What was I going to say? Um, I don't know. You were going to talk about our realtor audience and what are the biggest mistakes that our realtor audiences are making and how can we help them avoid them? Good. That was good. Thank you. Yeah. But yeah, Mark, um, talk about you again. So Mark, you're the managing partner of uh, the largest accounting firm in Merrimack Valley. I think last time we talked, you had 50 or more than 50 oh, employees. We're 40. I can't handle 40. 40. Okay. 40 employees. Um, big tax consulting and, or tax advisory and audit practices. Yep. So tax compliance, tax planning, consulting, and um, audit and review and compilation work. Awesome. And how'd you end up there? You seem like a young guy to be a managing partner of a big accounting firm. Yes. yes. So, you know, how, how'd you end up in the seat? So I, I studied accounting in school, so I'd never be unemployed. 
Really? Um, I hated accounting. I have a fun accounting. I'm good at it. Later. <laughs> so um, my, my career path, most of my career, I've been in um, private wealth advisory and family office advisory. Um, so that's what, what family offices, wealth management for the obscenely rich. Yeah. Um, there was a, there was a point, um, probably my most fun family office job. I was working for a multifamily office where I had 11 families, um, across three continents, five countries with a cumulative net worth of a billion eight. Um, and the, the smallest of them had a, a, a tiny, tiny fortune of $50 million. And, uh, the largest had a fortune of, about 500 million. Are they looking so, to adopt? No, 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 no. They, oh. they, they don't. They don't need we, us. Again, are most of them very happy? Yes. But you have a whole new set of problems. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a really quick, you know. one. Of the I'd be okay problems. being unhappy in Pertizzi sheets, right? Like I could be very unhappy in a very luxurious surrounding. Brendan, this is this is the life you were meant to live. So this uh, is one of, obviously one of my clients. Um, we also worked with his father. His um, put it this way: his one of his uh, relatives comes from a family who was former Secretary of State for the United States, and another one has a gigantic museum named after them in New York. Um, so you can piece together the two. So this kid uh, was 33 years old and um, lived in Bend, Oregon. And um, he went, he had a college degree. He went to University of Oregon, studied botany. Oh, and, he was um, a, a bothead. So he had a 50, <laughs> he had a 50 acre property in Bend, Oregon. Yeah. With an arsenal of weapons that could arm a small nation. Right up your alley. And he um, right used his botany degree to genetically modify weed. Oh, a weed, or what about psilocybin too, or what a psilocybin? What's the no, mushrooms? Was, no mushrooms. He, he, no, no, no. He was no, he was no mushrooms. He was just weed, and you know he would go from there to Breckenridge, um, you right. know, do that thing. The funniest part of him, of his, of his story, is this kid was worth about 150 million bucks, uh, trust fund baby, fourth generation, and he fell in love with this Hawaiian girl who worked at like the local Red Lobster. Stop. Who, Why is this guy going to Red Lobster? Because they have good cornbread. Like, who isn't going to Red Lobster? So the biggest challenge we had with this guy was getting him sober enough for a week so he could sign a prenup and not get, mm. it, not get it tossed out. Yeah. So I didn't do it. My, my, my colleagues did it. But he had a weekend of skydiving, this, that, and the other thing. Got him drug tested after the drug test results came back. Had him video while he was signing the the, wow. the prenup, so on and so forth, and you know. Then they had a second problem that we also resolved, which was they got married in Hawaii, and uh, this was of course, but before uh, the product was legal everywhere, mm. um, and there was a problem of how do you get all of this weed from Oregon to Hawaii? Mm. We smuggled for the wedding. They needed a, a weed wedding. You smuggled uh, it on they a They just plane. needed product for the wedding. Yeah. yeah, so we just got a private plane and paid off the pilot, and that was the end of that. So, yeah, listen, I mean, I could have solved. Well, that. I know who I'm How calling I... when I have fuck you money. Listen, Mark, if you need if you need any boots on the ground, I feel like I can solve these types of problems for people because that was a really easy solution. Yeah. Throw another one at me. It was fun, but I'm married and I have four lovely children, and I want to stay married, and I want That's to wise. raise my four lovely children in a normal way. So you so know, someday not... when I write my memoir. I'll, I'll include some of these stories. I love it. Well, we'll make sure we we uh, mark the podcast explicit so the kids can't listen to the to Mark's it's smuggling all legal, days. Right? It's all legal. You know, it is true. I suppose it is, right? So um, that's wild. That's a so wealth point. management. Yes. So from there, um, I ended up the last um, wealth management or the, the last wealth management group I was working with. They hired me to launch their multifamily office and um, – the 73-year-old young founder who was enjoying a very favorable market had cold feet. I found myself in the market and um, ended up coming to work for the father of a girl I went to high school with. And in four years, the rest is history. And we've uh, five times the firm, revenue-wise, staff-wise, new office, awesome. new everything, kicking ass, taking names, and you know having fun while we do it. But um, how we differentiate ourselves more than anything is um, we do compliance stuff, okay? 
Oh, we hate compliance. What's compliance? I think I compliance like compliance. is the same thing you do. You know, you process crap. Okay, you have to process True. paper to buy a house. You have to process paper to do estate planning or deal with things when someone dies. You have to process paper to do your tax return. Um, the value is in using that paper processing just as a report card to say how well did we plan up front? Because really, all of this, whether you have hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars, or a hundred million dollars is what are my goals and objectives and what proactive steps am I taking to execute and achieve them? And that's what we try to do with our clients. And um, I think we do a pretty cool job. And uh, we also are, are very fortunate that a, a third of my team are non-native English speakers. So we're kind of the, the firm of record if you have a successful Latino business. Because Very cool. though all of our Hispanic clients speak English, they like to talk about their health, talk about their money, and make love in their own language. So, you know, we satisfy hopefully just point two. Could do all three. Just, yeah, might maybe. Be a little, might, be, might be more like the first client. You Could be a conflict about. of interest. Yeah, Could be a problem. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So their office, Seth, we went up there. We had we brought all of our team up to hang out with his team one Friday afternoon. It's in a cool one of the – I don't know if you're familiar with downtown Lawrence. But it's in one of those awesome old mill buildings, like nice. dope office space. Um, so cool. Like they're just doing really awesome stuff at LCW. And uh, really interesting point. We were introduced to, to my buddy Mark by our friends at Reading Co-op. So Very Mark cool. is uh, – Reading Co-op has a deep uh, infiltration in Lawrence. And, and Mark is pretty tight with a couple of the commercial guys at Reading Co-op. And we were sort of able to meet that way. And it's been a great uh, – great relationship so far and we love uh, working with them so let's get into it seth was well first seth had a question about the realtor audience and i wrote it. okay cool can i ask my question but, but i have one but, more before we get into tax okay a lot of a lot of try a lot of teasers here about what i, I might, know might one day talk about Two, well, it's a two, it's a two, Mark's taking notes on you. He is. It's a two-part question. One is, what the hell is a family office, and how do the realtors that we're working with and talking to and listening to break into the family office world and, and start to be the broker of record for family offices? Yeah, what is a family office? So a family office is a wealth management firm on steroids, okay? Um, so most, most wealth management firms um, will provide advice. Uh, provide investment advice, provide maybe estate planning advice, maybe insurance advice. Some will sell product, but we're not going to tell about the product pushers. Um, we're talking about the fiduciaries. Um, it, but with a with a family office, you're going to have that same um, those same subject areas, but significantly deeper, and they're going to handhold on implementation. Um, as as Brendan will share with with people, I'm sure over and over. On the estate planning side of, thing, of his business, he can do the most spectacular estate plan, but if they don't retitle assets, it's not worth the paper it's printed on. Um, a family office will do that and then some. And pretty much if it has to do anything with the family's assets or it has to do with um, anything financial related to their life, you're their go-to. Whether it's, hey, I need help selling my super yacht in the Mediterranean, which I did for a client versus my airplane pilot just quit and I need to get the plane from here to and there. And I'm stuck in St. Bart's and I got to get home. These it's are the same whole, problems I have on a daily basis. Yeah, these are all, it's, it's a lot of just very, very high touch, very, very bespoke um, services to people that um, really, I mean, as, as the song goes, more money, more problems. Right. It does happen because the more money you have, the more people are trying to fleece you. No and, um, you know, it's a, a good family office is going to serve as not only as your consigliere, but also serve as, you know, your tr your trusted implementer that you're not going to get screwed along the way. That's deep. So how do you end up in that niche business? You're smart, technically. So uh, from, from a... Um, I mean, estate planning is a big piece of it. Sure. We don't do documents as CPAs or as, as, I mean, I have a bunch of financial planning credentials too. We don't do documents, but um, if you were to think of all the different planning strategies, whether they're estate planning, investment planning, um, insurance planning, so on and so forth that you've done, and you were to think of it as a tool that you put into a toolbox, 
um, most people in their lifetime, uh, most practitioners are going to use 20% of their tools, just like most homeowners use 20% of their tools, the flathead screwdriver, the, the Phillips screwdriver, and a pair of pliers, right? Maybe a hammer once a Maybe. morning. Okay. Same what thing with, with an estate planning firm or with, with a family office, but they're going to use every tool pretty much at least once. And once you do that, you know, it gives you perspective on, you know, what to do, what not to do. And, you know, just so many stories, so many different use cases, so many different circumstances to think about um, that, you know, if you're technically really, pro really pr um, strong and you end up with uh, the right traditional firm, because really, there really aren't too many pathways um, to family office work, except, you know, really good attorneys who are sick of traditional attorney work or really good accountants or really good financial planners who are just sick of it and want something more, but are technically strong and, you know, frankly have a personality and can be relatable. What about um, really good realtors? Really good realtors, you're part of that team. And again, for realtors, it's a matter of, well, first off, how do you become the go-to? Um, it's going to depend because most folks that own investment property are you're going to deal with the fit their family office you're not going to deal with the wealth creator or the matriarch of the patriarch because frankly okay. too much work i don't get my hands dirty right okay the the biggest the biggest encounter that you're going to have with people of this wealth is going to be selling their brownstone going to be selling their place in situate their place in marblehead that they that they summer in um those sort of situations uh their place on chestnut hill um and, and once that happens, if you build a relationship with them that, you know, you're around people of uh, prominence and, you know, you recognize they're just people that yeah, you get referred put their pants on one leg at a time um, and you're competent and you're fair, um, you know, you can make things happen there. I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll develop um, a, a taste and a reputation for dealing with people with exceptional wealth um, properly. But I, I'll, I'll caution anyone, and one of the reasons I'm no longer in family office world is you can tell a rich person yes. You can tell a rich person no. You do not tell a rich person to wait. Mm, so it's line. really not scalable. Interesting. Um, it, can, it can be, but it's, it takes a lot of work and a lot of resources to make it scalable. So... Um, you know, if you want to work with that clientele, that's great. The, you know, I would much rather, if I was a realtor, focus on, um, you know, kind of the, the millionaire next door type right. who owns several, you know, maybe worth 50 to $100 million, primarily real estate centric, um, and is looking to jockey properties here and there. And, you know, I'm selling this one because the cap sucks. Right. And I'm buying this one because of X, Y, and Z. Those people are going to get you much more traction. And, and same situation, I'm sure, if every one of the, the realtor folks that are listening to this, if you think about who your top five clients are, they keep coming back to you because you give them attention, you give them deal flow. As soon as something hits MLS or even before something hits MLS, you're getting a phone call. Um, you treat them, you represent their interests fairly. You're not counting every friggin' dime that goes through the transaction. If the place needs a set of if if the place needs fresh flowers on the counter to increase curb appeal, they're just putting the damn flowers. They're not bitching and complaining back right. at the seller that oh I paid all these soft costs you didn't pay me. You just do what you need to do to get it done, yeah. and they'll just keep coming back. Right. Um, but I think the sustainable way to 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 build that business is you know and I'm sure over and over you know realtor folks hear this. You don't want more than twenty percent of those awesome people of your entire book. Those 20% of your people are not your profit. Those are the people that feed your kids, pay your mortgage, make your car payment. Okay. The profit is the first time home buyer that they refer you. Right. Or, you know, the, the, the other, their third cousin, fifth removed who they refer you or any of these other folks, but they're going to be the ones that in season and out of season are going to be doing deal flow and you're their guy right. until you screw it up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Okay. So you said you just said a lot that I want to unpack. Right. So um, I I love the high touch and bespoke work. So can can we rewind a little bit? Talk a little bit about what that means in your line of work. 
So now it's, 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 it, it's the same situation. You know what? It, know what you're, but know what you're selling, and and don't over and 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 keep your word. I mean, none of this stuff is difficult. Okay, if someone is expecting a certain level of touch, then then this is what this costs, and I'm willing to provide it. Okay. I'll say something that's probably a little off color for this, but now that oh, we're now I'm interested. I'm always now that we're all, we've all admitted we're prostitutes. Yeah. Let's just talk about this, okay? Because whores don't get paid, prostitutes get paid. I'm a prostitute, <laughs> okay? You can put that on Instagram. Oh, um, we oh don't don't oh, think yeah, we won't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Should we tag you? But you know, but have that attitude, right? Yeah. Too don't tell me what I want to hear. Because you will be you will be annihilated, and you get one shot. The, the hardest thing to build is your reputation. The easiest thing to screw up is your reputation. Okay, it's the biggest issue in my business. It's the biggest issue in family office world. It's the biggest issue anywhere. Ironically, in real estate world, if you really consummately suck, um, it'll catch up with you. But you know, most people don't buy houses on a regular basis. So in fact, you know, the vast you get a lot majority more of realtors to kind of yeah, own your craft. The vast majority of realtors are quite frankly quite bad. And, uh, Absolutely. and luckily we're only going to interact what, every seven years. What's great is though, that you can, you, you can at least learn from those, from those occasions. And then, you know, tomorrow's another day to quote Scarlett O'Hara. We were talking <laughs> about Gomez before this. Tomorrow's another day. Okay. Realtors can do that. Attorneys can't. No. Brendan screws up once. Done. I screw up once. There goes my license. Bye-bye. No one cares. You know, th- give me a dime in my big gulp cup when you see me at the corner. That's about it. No problem. We can Not even it. Starbucks. We got to go to big gulps. Oh yeah, we can't afford that. They hold more dimes. Oh uh, okay. Oh, that's true. Trust me, I know you've never been in a Seven Eleven brand. I have. There was one I used to go to. Yeah. When? <laughs> when? Did you work there? No. 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 God no. There was one near a bar in the South End that you could go and nice, get. I had some nice rolling papers behind the counter. And a taquito on the roller thing. Taquito, I love the, the taquitos. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> taquitos are really good at two a.m. FYI. Yeah, anything is good at 2 a.m. Right. That's true. Let's be real. That's true. So I had a sausage, peppers, and onions at a Bruins game the other day. Oh, we were there. What night were you there? I was there the only day they decided to lose. Oh. Um, Which should have been night one because, quite frankly, they played horribly. They deserved to lose. They did. Um, yeah. So I'm having the sausage, peppers, and onions, and I hadn't had one. Probably since Red Sox season last good year. Good in theory. Like, this sucks. Good in theory. I'm like, this is good. It's not that it's bad. I said, but you know what? It needs to be like fermenting on the cart on Causeway on, on Lansdowne Street um, for like hours with onions that have been like re-caramelized 10 times for it to really have that street yeah, meat. To really, to really rip up the acid reflux, you know, if you need it. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking for maximum amount of saturated fat yes, loss. Yeah. And, and you want to remember that for days as you're still burping it up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it, <laughs> yeah. It has le- they always have legs. Make no mistake. Absolutely. Well, you just confuse the burping. It's no longer the alcohol. It's the, uh, it's the sausage. <laughs> right, right, right. So, um, okay. So we, we talked a lot about the realtor work, right? So, um, and obviously, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, so just our, our practice here in Eastie, we, we kind of pride ourselves on, on being like the, the people's agent, like just normal, cool, calm, collected. I also think we're very just like upfront and blunt with people, right? And I think that's what people want. So you said, you don't tell me what I want to hear. Like we never do that. I think that's, those realtors are the ones that end up in trouble on a transaction because they said, oh yeah, your place is worth 1.5 million when it's worth 1.3 to get a deal. And then you screwed them over and it, it ends up selling for less than fair market value down the road, right? So I agree with that. And, and I think, um, I also agree. There's like investors, although they tra- transact more often, I think they have infinitely less loyalty, right? Like they're about the deal. They're less about the relationship. There's always going to be two, three people to serve an investor, but the regular first time home buyer that you de-stressed the scenario will, will tell all of their friends and family and, and will pay extreme dividends. So I, I, I would completely echo what you said. But, but I think, I think so much of it though, Seth is, is really recognizing, you know, those investors, you know, you want a few of them that are loyal to you. Yes. But don't get delusional and think you're going to build your your business on them because you can't service. You, you just can't. You yeah. can't service that many of them to the level that they need to be serviced, be profitable, and retain all of them. You just can't. No, I would I would tend I would tend to agree with you. You know, I mean, the good news maybe you can build your business on serving an elite group of them, and and because they transact at such a high level. 
maybe that is your entire business, right? Maybe you have 10 to 20 that transact two to three a year, like let's go, right? But you know, the, the, that's not the vast majority of investors. They're buying wow. every two years on a, on a small scale and they're not 50 to 100 million. We're lucky if they're five, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we do. So I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you this little tidbit too. Um, my last, I'm a big analogy guy and story guy because Same. no one wants to read the tax code. Okay, if, you're, if you have insomnia, you want to read the tax code. Um, the only thing worse than that is reading mass general laws. Um, yeah. They're just boring, and they're talking mm. about, like, cows and shit. Um, that's chattel so, to you? Yes, chattel. <laughs> I wasn't even going there. Oh. That's a nice little pun. Um, <laughs> so, so Ty Cobb in the 30s was probably a better overall hitter in baseball than Babe Ruth was. And – the, the irony is no one looked at him and thought that he was that much better because he was an ass. And, you know, there was a reporter at one point, and I need to get my dates correct because I tell the story a lot, but there was a reporter that called him out for not hitting any home runs. And he's like, it's terrible for baseball because it destroys momentum. It, you know, ruins an inning, you know, if, you know, this, that, or the other thing. And ultimately your team loses. So the guy's like, yeah, no, you're just saying that because you can't hit home runs. He's like, all right, so look at the Tigers record. For the following month, and I'm gonna I'm gonna only hit home runs. So of course he did that, and the Tigers as a whole were doing worse than they were doing when he was doing his usual style of baseball, which is singles and doubles, singles and doubles, singles and doubles, singles and doubles. Singles and doubles don't hurt you. Singles and doubles, if you miss one, it don't matter. Get on base. Singles and doubles maintain momentum, and it's ultimately what are you trying to do? If you're trying to sell, you know. The Reebok Mansion in Chestnut Hill, who I know the realtor who did it, and I know the guy who bought it. Um, you know, if that's what you're, if you're swinging for the fences, yeah, you connect. That's great. What's your next deal? Um, versus, you know, selling selling to an investor or selling to folks in a particular market and consistently building that reputation of hitting, you know, double base hits and doubles. Um, you know, is going to get you far more wealth and more likely than not enable you to achieve your goals a hell of a lot faster. Yeah, but people I'll think home runs are so sexy, right? So I, I think that's a good They are, that's and, and home runs are great, but you can't just be a home run hitter. No, no, I think that's a great analogy. I love it. Brendan, what were you going to say? I was going to say um, – Do you know what baseball is? Yeah, I've been. Uh, Fidelity has a box, and I've gone there with them. Yeah. <laughs> good. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Of all the boxes to sit in, the ones at Fenway Park are the worst. Yeah. Most, most of the seats, uh, quite frankly, at that park are suspect at best. The whole park sucks. In all great. honesty, it's not great. Right, now you're now you're being a snob. It's not, not great. It's not. It has some. It has some charm. It does have. It has some charm. It is prestige. They ruined it when they put all the when they put all the 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 netting around mm. for stupid people that don't pay attention. Right. The cell phone people. Uh, same thing with hockey. It used to be a nice punishment that you know you're not paying attention. If you get a baseball to the head or a puck to the head, that's your punishment. Yeah, we were, but the seats we, are too close together. When we that's the together. that's the hard part it's there. Length. It's height. No, it's our it's shoulders. Like I, it's the they're they're too close together. Absolutely, I I I am not going to lie. I have sat in the luxury suites at the new Yankee Stadium, and they don't suck. Mm. They don't suck. John Henry, if you're a listener, we want a new stadium, and we want better seating. New stadium, controversial. Mm. We're getting a new soccer stadium, right? Did I hear we're getting a soccer stadium and by the casino? Everett, Mister Kraft. Yeah. Mr. Kraft knows what's up. Mr. Kraft is where it's at. All right, I like so that guy. very cool guy. Very cool guy. So yeah. let me hit. Let me hit with this with this realtor question, right? So I think uh, someone said something to me a, a while ago, and, I, and on the lines of revenue and uh, doing more deals, right? Like a lot of realtors get caught up in the next deal or, or selling X many homes or making X X amount of money. It's really about how much cash you get to keep at the end of the year when it comes to yo taxes, right? So. Talk to us about some of the unique ways, uh, you know, folks in the 1099 industry, if, if the realtor is a 1099 individual, mm-hmm. which might not be the right way to do it, we can discuss that too, mm-hmm. to, that they can maximize savings. I'm, I'm talk, like a lawyer to here, I'm going to give you the worst answer to any question that can be asked, and that is, it depends. I love it. Um, but I'll, I'll take a stab at it. So. Realtors are inherently 1099 business. Um, whether you have your own ensemble, um, meaning you have several realtors in your office or whatever, um, unless you are running the brokerage yourself, um, you're going to be receiving a 1099. And depending upon how your deal is and how your cuts are, 
you know, you may be then 1099ing out um, the folks that work under you right. or what have you. What hurts folks in else that are receiving 1099s primarily has to do with employment taxes. Sure, many folks have heard Warren Buffett say that his secretary pays more taxes than he does on a percentage basis. And he's correct because if you are an, a W-2 employee, okay, we don't see it as much, but you're paying social security tax at 6.2% on the first, I think it's $150,000 roughly of income. And you're paying 1.45% of Medicare tax. Your employer is also paying the same taxes on the other side that you don't see. Okay, so you're just having 7.45% come out of your paycheck. When you're self-employed, both sides come out of your paycheck. What do we call that? Self-employment tax. And that is on whatever the net income is. So that is your gross income, what is on the 1099, and whatever else that you received, because just because you didn't get a 1099 doesn't mean that the rest of it's not taxable. It's all taxable. Um, I know Brendan doesn't like that answer. I, I don't understand I, that answer. Why, where could you get money that isn't 1099? Because not everyone is compliant with the 1099 rules. You're supposed oh. to get a 1099 anytime you receive a payment for services over 600 bucks. And folks, if you hate attorneys like I do, the very, very nice thing Sounds is right. attorneys are specifically called out that they have to be 1099 on all payments that they get. So they get, a, they get a stack of 1099s because someone at the IRS realizes how honest and scrupulous attorneys are on declaring their income. But anyway, I'll hey. come back from that segue. Um, I deposit cash. I bring cash to the bank, and I'm like, "Put that in. Put it in. We don't even keep cash around here." Oh, that's. I think that's good. You could have just said you deposit the cash in the drop safe in your floor, which would be much more lawyerly of you. But I digress. Uh, so anyway, you declare everything gross income. What's the drop safe? All of your expenses. Then after your expenses, that number, that net income number, is what you end up paying self-employment tax on, as well as regular income tax, like every other American and state income tax if you're in uh, for whatever state in which you earned the income. So what that means is when you sell someone's property in a gunquit, okay, you're, that is main income. That is not Massachusetts income, even though you live in Massachusetts. Now, are you going to get double tax? No, you're going to get, get a credit on Massachusetts for whatever tax you pay to the state of Maine. But um, for real property, meaning real estate, meaning stuff that doesn't move, it is taxed wherever it is earned, and it's deemed earned wherever the transaction, what the where the material um, tenants or aspects of the contract were consummated. Which real estate is clearly what about a referral uh, fee on real estate? So I know a lot of realtors will refer out an out-of-state buyer or seller and get a referral yeah. fee from that brokerage. Is that out-of-state income or is that in-state? Nope, that's in-state income because okay. they. Because it, it's not, it's, it's, it has to do with the level of connection to the client, to the particular deal. The nexus. Wow. That's a sexy word wow. for it. Mm. No, we're not going to talk about nexus. We don't have enough time and I don't have enough of alcohol in my keg. Okay. Um, so we'll, so, we'll skip so nexus. Just to tonight. be clear, there's a keg at the office? Oh, yeah. All right. We have a, we have a full kitchen, a kegerator or two. Well, we have a kegerator, then we have the spare because we always have to have a spare that's right. cold. Because it's very, very bad Warm kegs. when the keg kicks and yeah, yeah. it's not ready. Yeah. And we have a full bar. You um, need to get an invitation to LCW yeah. happy hour sometime. I mean, listen. We'll have you up. I mean, listen. We, we're ha well, happy hours are kind of on stasis. Brendan, we actually just bought a grill. Oh. Hey, listen, I can th I can throw down. I can cook. I can bring he can. Value. Yeah. So we just got a grill. So we're going to cook. Um, since we can't cook on our property, we're going to cook along the canal. Which technically doesn't belong to our landlord. Mm, perfect. And then just roll the grill and out, in and out of the building when we're done. Nothing wrong with Love that. it. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. <laughs> so, anyway, um, so that's the self employment tax, right? Um, there are no additional expenses that you get to take if you're self employed that you don't get to take if you have a business, okay? Um, and you're going to say, well, why do I have to pay so much? Or why is my accountant telling me I have to pay estimates? Well, because our tax system is what, what is known as a pay-as-you-go tax system. Well, what the hell does that mean? Well, if you're getting a W-2, <clears throat> every pay period, you're paying, you your, um, you're paying money into the government as you're earning the money. So if you're on a 1099, the government's like, hey, I ain't waiting once a year. You're going to pay me at least quarterly. Quarterly is to do 415, uh, 415, 615, 915, and 115, right? Um, and there's a specific amount that you have to pay in. To, to avoid having underpayment interest, which is just stupid. Um, no one likes paying taxes, whether you're liberal, whether you're conservative, no one likes paying taxes that you don't have to pay. 
So this is just, you know, it's it's worse than paying credit card interest. Wait, you don't Should check be. the box to pay extra in Massachusetts? I I, I pay my fair share. Oh, I'm always like, yeah, no, give me the higher the higher percentage. I want to pay more. Brendan, I I will donate money to the uh, voluntary things before I check the yes, please tax me at five point eight percent because you know what better to do with my money than I think I heard that only like twenty seven people in Massachusetts actually checked that box. You know what? And every single one of those twenty seven people deserves to have all of their assets (laughs) taken from them because they are not good stewards of their resources, or they don't know how to fill out their own tax return. No, those are intentional um, people that are making statements. So you think you have so much money that you can afford to do that? Great. Then let's take all your money away, and then you'll see what it's like. We'll just donate it to the charity to the to the charity you you loathe the most. Oh, I I like that. Can we set up that charity? I'm. There are so many charities in this state. I guarantee you, there's one that's there. So so would you say if I'm if I'm understanding correctly, what most realtors should do is keep a great P&L, a profit and loss for their expenses, yes. or keep track of their expenses, I guess I would say. So, Seth, how about I tell you everything that a realtor should do to minimize what they have to pay for taxes? How about that? Yo, well, I thank God we're recording. Simple. That's what I'll tell you. Okay, good. <laughs> so, step one, keep a great P&L. A- That's easy. No, but the easiest way to do that, don't be cute. Get a second credit card. Okay. Agreed. It doesn't have to have your business name on No one cares. Get a Capital One card, even though the miles suck. But get a separate card. Don't get a Capital One card. Get a real card. Well, if you can, I understand. Some folks, not everyone can have the can have a Centurion card on this call. (laughs) I know that. But if you can have a Centurion card, okay, they don't suck. Um, I don't even know what that is. Clearly, I'm in the wrong room. You know what that is? I don't think so. That's that's the formal name of the black card. You could have just said black card. See, you were so high class on that that I you had to one up the black card. Brendan knew what I was talking about. Of course, he did. He rocks a Centurion card. Let's be real. The only black thing I have right now is this pen. Yeah, and that's the wrong color, also, to be clear. <laughs> well, well, the ink is blue. The pen itself is uh, black. Okay, okay. There yeah. we go. It's, it's, it's a psycho pen. Um, so you want to segregate it, right? Because life gets complicated, okay? So the gifts, the welcome gifts, the networking lunches, the marketing this, the subscription fees here, just keep it segregated as much as you possibly can. Keep track of your mileage, okay? Because very few realtors, have a car that is exclusively for real estate. You cannot write off your entire car if you're a realtor saying, I'm going to Demoulas and that mileage counts because I was prospecting while well, I was at the deli counter. Don't be greedy. If you're, you know, there's an adage in investing and it, and it should be in all life. Bulls always win, bears always win, and hogs always get slaughtered. Don't be a hog because then you're begging to be made an example of and the government will crush you because you're trying to be too cute. And frankly, it ain't worth it. Is It's not worth it. It's a law of diminishing returns. Just do the right thing. So, just on the, just um, on the mileage point, um, have you ever heard of the app Mile IQ? So you just be, you just took away my thunder. Oh. Most, people, most people do not keep little diary books in their visor. I don't care what app it is. There are a million different apps. Choose one that you like. And just use the damn thing. Set it up on your phone. No one is away from the precious um, for more than five minutes ever. And I don't know anyone that intentionally leaves their house without the precious. That's true. Okay. So just let it do it for you. And then when you're going through it, you know, it's easier to piece things together. Okay. Another biggie, huge thing is business use of home. Since the Augusta rule. The Augusta rule is probably next. We're going to talk about that after this one. uh, Okay. I don't know if it's a top. So business use of home. So business use of home is – it's the Augusta rule has to do more with – Just Google it. Well, I don't refer to it as that. We refer to it as the vacation home. I haven't heard it referred to as that for a long time. Didn't it start in Augusta when people were renting their houses out for the um, golf tournament thing? The Masters, the Green Jackets? Yeah. It did. It did. See? But again, we like numbers. Accountants like numbers. So they just call it the 14-day vacation home. Um, But that's that's not for this. That's not for realtors. That's more for people that own stuff. Um, So you business use of home. If you have a bedroom in your house or a home office in your house that 
pretty much you're not once in a while, but you're using more than occasionally to do work at home. Okay, that qualify qualifies as a, as a home office. What that means is you can write off the so you, so from a take a step back. The way you do the calculation is you figure out the square footage for that room, total square footage for your for your house, and whatever percentage that is, that percentage of mortgage interest, real estate taxes, uh, repairs and maintenance, utilities, um, everything else like that can be written off as against your small business, against your Schedule C 1099 activities. Now you're going to say, well, why the hell do I want to do that? Isn't that going to hurt me on my Schedule A? Well, guess what? Since the Trump tax law significantly increased the standard deduction for most taxpayers, most taxpayers are not filing the Schedule A anymore. So it really doesn't matter. You're still getting the full standard deduction. You're just going to have some some additional, um, what do you call it, real estate taxes to write off and some additional mortgage interest to write off. So you do those things. That's going to minimize to the maximum extent you legally can what's going on. What can you do beyond that um, is going to be dependent upon where you are and what state in life. Okay, If you're in a situation where you're in accumulation mode, you know, you're, you're making plenty of dough. Maybe your spouse is working. Maybe this is, you know, a job that's really turned into something cool. Um, it's making more money than you ever thought. You can save that. You obviously, if you're people do that. You don't have you actually some this is SEP IRA talk. Um, yes, this is the SEP IRA talk. I feel like I'm so checking a, a lot of boxes. IRA. Like I know what I'm doing right now. It feels good. Yeah. Well, sometimes, sometimes. Um, but I'll I'll throw you for a loop in a oh, second no. after this. So SEP IRA, easiest form of self-employed retirement plan. You can contribute up to 20% of your business net income. But what if you want to contribute more? Well, you can't do it now, but you can enroll in something known as a solo K or a solo 401k, which allows you to contribute even more because you can contribute the full 401k contribution limit, which I think is uh, somewhere around $23,000 this year. Plus, you can do a profit sharing contribution up to 25% of net income. So it's a way to get even more into there. That was a new one. And if you yep, so, so, but again, it all comes down to what your objectives are, what you're trying to do. Um, if you're in a situation where, you know, and, and many folks that are realtors are also investors and they're like, the hell with that. I just want to take the money so then I can find some buy money for my next piece of rental property. Guess what? You're not going to contribute to the SEP IRA. Could you? Yes. You could, and then you could do things known as self directed IRA investments into rental real estate and get really, really sexy. But you also then have to deal with a lot more fees, a lot more complexity, and you know it comes back to the old adages: Is there enough of juice for the squeeze here? Um, but you can do it. Love it. And and for so there's a lot for the rental property owners. Give, give me your elevator pitch on uh, cost segregation. So cost segregation studies. So, so let's take a step back. So before we even get to cost segregation studies, what I'd rather talk about is what is a real estate professional? And it's not an oxymoron. So a real estate professional is someone that dedicates at least 750 hours per year to real estate stuff. Okay. Now there are other benefits that come with this, but the biggest benefit to being a real estate professional is you are not subject to the passive activity loss rules. Passive activity loss rules came into being when the Internal Revenue Code was last rewritten, which was in 1986. And it effectively says that if you have a piece of real estate that is losing money, with the exception of if your adjusted gross income is under $150,000 a year, you cannot enjoy or you, those losses from that piece of real estate cannot offset other income on your tax return. They don't get lost. They get suspended until either you have income that can be offset or you sell the property. Okay. If you're under $150,000, the, the law says that you can use up to $25,000 of losses per year to offset other income on your return. So if you're a real estate professional, you don't have to worry about that. That means that you buy a parcel, you buy a piece of property. Now, what qualifies you? Being a, being a realist, a realtor. Okay. If you have the hours. Owning and owning sufficient investment properties that legit, legit, you have 750 hours. If you live in a three family or a two family and you live in one unit, you are not a real estate professional. If you work at Fidelity, you are not. I don't care. You are not a real estate professional. Um, 
but it needs to be facts and circumstances. It's a very highly examined area by the IRS, Mm -hmm. but it's also a very, very um, important and justified um, uh, treatment uh, for folks that qualify. So if you're a real estate professional, and now now let's segue into some of the sexier things like cost segregation studies and solar. Would a real estate attorney transacting in real estate transactions be a real estate professional? If you have the hours. All right. Perfect. Bingo. Bingo. But you, well, and since you're, since you're a typical degenerate attorney, just like us accountants, and we account for every six minutes of our lives, you could easily prove it. We don't account for any of our time. You don't? That's awesome. Yeah, no, we do every we do everything on flat fees. I haven't billed hourly in ten years. You know what's even worse than billing hourly? Not billing hourly for five years and then having to go back. Yeah, that would be murder. People don't well, I I mean it's nice being king. I exempt myself from the yeah. rules. But <laughs> I mean my game, my rules. Fair. I mean, what do you Fair. want? <laughs> I mean, I might do things but, like uh, that too. Maybe. Um, but you want to make sure that it's legit. You don't want to get too cute. Um, but if it is, then you're golden. So that then flows into things like cost segregation studies. Um, and what a cost segregation study does, it can, it's very attractive for some investors. It's not for everyone. It doesn't make sense in all cases. Um, because it's a timing, it's a timing difference. Okay. So what does this mean? And let, let's just start with some residential rental real estate. So if you buy a, it doesn't matter if it's a two family or a 22 family, okay, residential real estate is depreciated over 27 and a half years per the IRS. Okay, now depreciation, again, is cost recovery. One of the cool things about depreciation is it's one of a few, only a few assets that you can write off over time that in reality doesn't lose value. Okay. Now you have to pay back all the depreciation when you sell, unless you do something like a 1031 or you invest in an opportunity zone or whatever. But generally speaking, it's the only asset that you get the that you get the the tax cover, the deduction while you're owning it. That's one of the reasons that owning so, rental real so estate awesome, is yeah. so tax advantageous. Is the cost recovery wipes out a significant amount of um, the income that you have. Now the the bigger the property is. Even with great depreciation, you get to a point where, you know, I'm, I, let's focus on the 22 unit. The 22 unit, you're still going to be making money every year. Right. Uh, on a, on a, even after depreciation. Okay. So what a cost segregation study does is instead of looking at the whole property as one item and depreciating it over 27 and a half years, it looks at it as parts. Okay. So you have a bunch of specialty t- accounting notes that come in that prepare a cost segregation study that they indemnify and they stand behind and they say to you and to me and to everyone else, if the IRS questions it, we'll defend you. So don't worry about it because they have a reputation to defend. Um, But what they do is they'll come in and do a study and say, all right, you know, in this office, my office, I have HVAC ducts. I have light fixtures. I have light outlets. I have carpeting. I have things like that, that you can break some of those out and say, all right, if I look at them individually, they're not 27 and a half year property. They may be seven year property. They may be 15 year property. They may be five year property. And that accelerates the depreciation on those items. You do not have to do a cost segregation study immediately upon purchasing or immediately upon renovating a property. You can do it at any time because it's just the timing difference. So the net effect of this is that it accelerates the depreciation to the now. So, Unless you are a real estate professional who can enjoy losses or has other real estate income to offset, if you're a passive investor or an investor with just passive income and you do a cost seg study, you know what it does? Absolutely nothing. It's going to create a gigantic loss for you that's going to sit suspended. Uh, but otherwise, it can be really cool. So why do people do it? So, so hold people on do it. just so I make sure I understand. So the loss that you have, unless you have income to offset it against, is hypothetically unused and suspended until future future things you're going to get. A carry forward loss, right? It's it's it is a it is a well, not to be confused with carry forward long-term capital losses. Oh. 
it is a it is a passive act it is a carry forward passive activity okay. so if you owed from strong revenue and you did this it would apply hypothetically from, from oh as a result of strong real sure. estate income yeah. yes Okay, continue. I was just okay. Just trying to understand the whole uh, suspended. No, no, I, I get stuff. it. I get it, and I'm and I'm I'm speaking precisely because it's there. That's how it, it works. works. It's it's it, it'll do where it applies in some circumstances. Not Hypothetically, in if yes. you had two sources of income, one of them being more than seven hundred and fifty hours in real estate, and the other one being I don't know wealth management, right? So say you. You manage money and you manage real estate. Brendan, let me give you a real life yeah. example. So we have clients that own 2 million square feet in Lawrence and Milton. Yeah. They also have a very large um, IT business um, in, the, in the hardware space. Okay, Their IT business is making them about a half a million bucks a year each. It's two brothers. Their real estate loss, since the amount of real estate they own, they qualify as real estate mm -hmm. professionals. There's a special election you have to make to have all of your real estate looked at as one piece of real estate for the oh, accounting. Because technically, the way the law is written, you have to have 750 per activity. But there's an election you can make to have them all look at, at as mm -hmm. one. Um, what they're able to do is if they have losses on their real estate side, they can those flow right through to the extent of basis that they have to offset the income from their totally unrelated. Oh, it does. Okay. Very cool. Because you as an individual are the one qualifying as a real estate professional. Yeah. You either right. are or you So are. it doesn't matter the source of income, the type of income producing. If you're yeah. a real estate professional. I follow. Yeah. Flow until you get to your and hypothetically, this client may or may not also additionally benefit from a cost segregation on their square footage. So the they may or may not based on so so here here are some of the other things why they're attractive and why folks do them is to, uh, is obviously to reduce their income tax sure. footprint. The other reason is banks don't care. Banks when you're looking at a loan when they're looking at a loan and they're looking at covenants depreciation gets added back. It's a non cash yeah. item. So it, how do you what how do you increase because that's the other. Right, you're qualifying for mortgages. You're looking at DTI. You're looking at debt coverage. You're looking at all these different things, so you don't piss off your your, right. your bank. Okay, cost segregation studies are attractive because they erase your income tax and don't piss off. Well, your they don't bring down your net income, income, right? Or is it a cost segregation right. immediately? <laughs> Very cool. So I have a guy that I that I work with. He's awesome. Very cool. Uh, there's lots of people that do it. My guy's great. Um, you can reach out to me afterwards and I'll give oh, you will do. Um, but there is a flip side to these. All right. There is a flip side to these. If you're going to own these properties for a long period of time, the music stops and then you're screwed. Oh, tell, tell us, us more. And then you have no more depreciation. Or if, yeah. you, if you accelerate the depreciation in your example, like so, and then you, and you sell the property within two to three to four or five years, you're going to get creamed. You're going to get killed on depreciation recapture. Yeah. So why does the music stop? So depreciation recapture, just on. Say it again. Go ahead, finish your thought. So depreciation recapture, because no one likes to think about this. Everyone just has a very, very basic uh, delusional thinking about how capital gains work. Well, I bought the building for a half a million bucks. I should only have to pay tax on anything above the half a million bucks. Oh, what about the depreciation? Forget about the depreciation. Doesn't matter, that doesn't matter. No, it does matter. Because what the government says is, if you buy a property at a half a million dollars, let's say you depreciate it down to 400, right? And then you sell it for a million, okay? What the government says, so, you know, Joe Usual Client, who this is their first rodeo, is going to think they're paying a half a million, capital gains tax on a half a million bucks. They are. They're also doing depreciation recapture on a hundred grand. Now, because it's real estate, depreciation recapture is tax advantaged. You get to, depreciation is a deduction at your marginal rate. So if you're a wealthy person, it's worth 37 cents for every dollar of depreciation that you get. But the recapture is capped at a max of 25%, code section 1250 mm. depreciation, until you get to sea level, that $500,000. After that $500,000, your long-term capital gains, which if it's a half a million, you're going to be paying 20% plus 3.8% in Obamacare. Hot damn. This is deep. So where's the sweet spot from a... Owner perspective to do a cost seg. 
Right, because you said the music. So, it's like, yeah, where is yeah. So I, I think that it really is. And obviously, this is not accounting advice, and we are yes, giving no general, we're no, all general period. discussion. No, of course, of course, I am providing, I am providing no specific <laughs> advice. Guys talking about stuff, me. you know, just yeah, yeah, we're, just, we're fine, we're fine. Every, every, I mean, honest and truly, every circumstance is different. You have to look at what your goals and objectives are. You have to look at what you're trying to do. You have to look at all right. What are your plans? Are you trying? Is this a one and done? Or are you looking to build this into an empire? Okay, we have got we have folks that are doing it and building it into empire, an empire. Yeah. We have folks that are, you know, just getting to a point. We have one guy who's an amazing client of ours. He's awesome. Uh, he's an immigrant from the Dominican Republic. He came here. He owned an auto body shop, bought the property that the, the shop was in. Uh, Bing bang zap about a billion 1031 exchanges later. He has about a $50 million portfolio and he's a super nice guy and super real and grounded guy. Um, so he's in a situation where he just had a brand new building that he built 40 units come online and he has a shit ton of income coming on. So he's looking at cost segs and saying, man, you know, I've been in a manageable place over these years. I need some dodge now. Or he had a big sale because this guy has been around right. for so long. He's a lot of really low base of stuff, which, um, you know, I don't know, we can get into 1031s if you want, or we can oh, skip man, 1031s, but um, this guy has so much low basis property. He needed some liquidity. He had to sell something. So, all right, he's doing a, he's doing a cost seg this year because he knows he's going to be getting cream right. this year. So it's a nice match. Yeah. Okay. There are, there are two principles in taxation um, that override everything. And first is how do you eliminate the tax legally? <laughs> and if you can't eliminate it, how do you delay it? Right. Um, and one of the ways to do that is by you know, either doing different things like SEP IRA SEP IRAs or other strategies like that, or achieving good matching. So if you're going to have a big income year, have a big deduction year. I mean, same situation if, if you're a wealthy individual and you're looking to fund donor advised funds and things like that. You know, if you have a big year where you sold your company or you sold a bunch of real estate and you're philanthropically inclined, that's the year you plow the money into the donor advised fund, not trickling it in year over year because you're just going to achieve right. nothing. Um but again, you want to work as all these strategies. None of them work if you send your crap into your accountant on April 15th and say, I don't want to pay taxes. Save this is money. so interesting, Mark. Okay? All of this is stuff that you should be talking to your accountant about in August. So that's a great, a great point, Mark. Like how often as business owners should we be talking to our accounting team? Should it be on, you know, April 13th or are there better times that we should be, or are there multiple times we should be talking to guys like you? Like what's the, what, what's best practice for an average business owner to have relationship with their accountant? So again, depends the type of business, but generally speaking, and before any big transaction, before any big transaction, not the night before, <laughs> before any big transaction, Okay, because there may be planning objectives, planning opportunities, planning things that you can execute on. The other thing is you definitely would want to be doing year end tax planning, um, which is, you know, generally anytime after after Halloween, but definitely something that is done before Christmas, not after Christmas. We have families, too. We like to we, we always work, but, you know, we like to not have to work more than 40 hours between um, Christmas and New Year's if we don't have to. Same. Um, but but the really really valuable stuff is again when there's no gun to, right. to your head. Right. You know the the important non urgent stuff as Stephen as uh, Stephen Covey would say, that's the stuff that you should be doing and having one kind of planning summit annually. Um, that you should be working with your advisory team, and that could be your attorney, that could be your accountant, that could be your financial advisor. It all depends on the complexity of your situation, what your state is in life. And also, frankly, what dollars are involved? Because as I said earlier, we sell time. So when are you opening so, an office in Lynn? I don't need to open an office in Lynn. My car drives. Oh. And I, have a, and, I, and I know a guy that I can squat in his office. Anytime you want. Well, now you know a guy in Eastie. Yeah, you got one in Eastie, too. Yeah, we have plenty of space. There you go. How close to Santarpio is oh, that? We're pretty close. Five, five minutes by car. Awesome. Not that awesome. you can park there anyway. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of that. But again, it, it just comes down to planning and it comes down to being proactive. I mean, and it, you know, if you want something to be productive, you need to invest in it. And, you know, just cause we cost money 
Don't be cheap. Yeah. Good advice. Amen. I have one last um, real estate tax question. I suppose I'm going backwards here a little bit. So, yes. um, it, so just a, a little bit of uh, explanation. So what we do here is um, I actually uh, S-corped myself, right? And then I take a W-2 from myself. Uh, and yes. then we run the, the P&L. Would you say that I hear that that's the right way to do it, at least with the existing tax code, is my understanding. As thoughts? It all depends on how much... Uh, S-Corps are wonderful beyond the scope of today's call um, and very, very appropriate, but it is all dependent upon the volume uh, of what your net sure. income is going to be and how consistently your net income is going to be at a certain level because there are arbitrages to be enjoyed and other benefits to happen. But it's, it's again, it's dependent. The, the S, to S-Corp or not to S-Corp is one that has to do with the, the net it's income. It's a bespoke cost. answer. That is a bespoke answer. Yeah. It, was, it was kind of forced. Yeah, I would agree. It wasn't. wasn't. All right. I have some people waiting, gentlemen, so I get a ditch. Don't log off. I want to yeah. give you my word. Give, you, give us your word and keep this running in the background so it can upload. Absolutely. 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 Um, so my word is execution. And my word is execution because all of us create plans. All of us have New Year's resolutions. All of us do everything else, whether it be for our business, for you know our personal lives, for relationships, whatever. Execution's all that matters. Execute and screw up, and then you execute again. But if you don't execute, all plans are garbage and crap. Yeah, well said. So with that, gentlemen. Awesome. Mark, Thanks, Mark. Mark it was a thank pleasure. You for the Happy to come back for an encore and uh, talk about 100%. other stuff if you'd like to. Thanks yeah, so much, definitely. Mark. All right. All Take right. care, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Word Podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. If you could take a minute and leave us a quick review, not only do reviews give us valuable feedback, but every positive review tells the algorithm to push this episode out in front of more people. If you really want to help us out, send this podcast to someone who you think would benefit. Thank you so much, and we hope to see you next time when we talk about the word.